Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Soul Surgery Podcast. My name is Nikki Clinch, and I am your host. And today I am excited and looking forward to introducing you to, once again, to the amazing Michaela Boehm. Michaela is coming to sit with me for two back-to-back episodes where we are releasing an intimacy series this month. So the first episode, which is this episode, we're going to be speaking about sensuality by creating internal safety within ourselves. And this is a really, really important episode to listen to. Um, speaking about how, firstly, breaking down the, con- the the conditioning and the misconceptions and the myths that we have around sensuality as if it's something we need to get or something that we need to do or something that we should demand. And, and learning from Michaela about how it is something that... W- we need to allow that can be allowed to come through by creating a sense of internal safety within ourselves. Michaela is an absolute expert and wise woman in her field. She is an embodiment and intimacy coach and therapist. She is the founder of Linear Movement. Um, She has featured on Red Table Talk with Jada Pinkett. She has featured in Netflix in the Netflix series Unwell. She is just an absolute wise force. Um, and what she speaks in these episodes should be heard by as many people as possible. So it's an honor to sit with her. So I will go on to the episode now. If you love it and if you have any big shifts or aha moments, please do share with me in the comments below. Uh, You can send me a DM on Instagram. You can send me an email in the website. I love to hear your healing. Do let me know where in the episode it landed for you. And if you love the episode to also please leave a review because your reviews really matter. They help to spread this podcast far and wide. And lastly, if you want to be part of this community and want to receive these episodes without fail every week and be the first ones to get them, please do subscribe to the Soul Surgery channel. Um, It would be an absolute joy to welcome you here. So without further ado, we move on to Michaela Boehm. So hello, Michaela. Thank you so much for coming to sit with me again and for speaking to the Soul Surgery audience. How are you doing today? I am good and thank you for having me. (laughs) So I can see you're all wrapped up warm. Is it cold out there? Uh, For some reason, it's very chilly these last week or two. We had ice frost, which is, you know, in my part of California happens on occasion but it's it's good you of course are all sunny and in in a in in a teeny little outfit (laughs) yes i am in new zealand so it is summertime here like peak of summer right now so it's super hot (laughs) so i wanted to get you back on here and record and release this intimacy series with you because you know, firstly, relationships just seems to be one of the biggest, most challenging aspects of human life, <laughs> of, you know, the one that we have with ourselves and the one that we have with each other. And then, of course, with this pandemic and everybody's being put inside into isolation, I'm sure that there's so many issues coming up around this. So 
I just wanted to, to hear your wisdom and be able to share as much of that with people as possible right now. So thank you for that. So we're going to talk about sensuality today. And I guess the first question I have for you is, you know, what is the biggest misconception around sensuality? Aha. Well, it depends on how you define it, right? So I have a very specific way of looking at sensuality that sometimes trips people up because a lot of people mix sensuality and sexuality together. And sensuality is often also considered something that's more on the, let's say, um, hedonistic, uh, sexual side of things. And I personally think that's uh, doing sensuality and everybody uh, who who has a body a huge disservice. So, (laughs) because when you really look at the word sensuality and what is really meant by it, it's being engaged with life with all your senses. Mm. And that's <laughs> sensuality, right? When you really think about it, is that you are able to feel and experience your life through all five senses. Yes. So there is nothing dirty, nothing gluttonous, nothing lascivious or whatever you want to call it about that. That's, it, oh, no, uh, as a matter of fact, it is how human beings have survived for many millions of years. Mm. And so engagement with the senses is one of the main reasons we are all still here. And uh, when your senses are diminished or you don't have one, it drastically reduces your ability to survive in the wild, for sure, and also makes your life not so much fun, uh, even if you're in a domesticated setting. But how did we know if we could eat something or not? Well, if it tasted horrible, it probably wasn't good to eat. Same Mm -hmm. with smell. If you smelled a piece of meat and it's uh, rotten, you will know, right? Touching things uh, that are uh, harmful, you know, you can tell if something's too hot or too cold or too prickly or things like that. But also touching things that are very pleasant um, makes for an engagement that then creates, you know, engagement in life or with that person or that situation. So he, not hearing can be very um, dangerous, right? Not seeing yes. can be very dangerous. So in all of those, in all the senses, there is some real survival on one end, and then there's some real amplifying of experience on the other end. Mm-hmm. And so between the survival aspect and the full amplification of the sensual experience, there is a vast band of experience right, that we can be with or not be with. Uh, but sensuality in that in that definition, in the way I use it, is simply your engagement with life with all your senses. Uh, mm-hmm. And then within that, you can choose, uh, you know, how you want to play with that. Yes. And that's why I wanted to speak to you, because, you know, I can I can see from your teachings that that's where you're coming from. And. You know, what I see right now is sex has become a hot topic or sensuality has become a hot topic. It's literally sexy. And 
And what I'm seeing more though, that kind of makes me very uncomfortable is that it, it's coming from this other place of almost performance or something that we need to do or something that we need to, to, to get. And when I listen to your teachings, it's actually such an intimate relationship that we have with life internally, uh, inside of ourselves and externally. So when, when you said what you wanted to speak about, and we were talking about sensuality, you said creating an internal safety for softness. And when I heard that that was how you wanted to speak about it, I just related so much at you know, the safe, safe, the safer I feel in myself, the more alive I get to become, or I get to engage with life. So what is it about, what is it about non-safety, feelings of non-safety that happens in the body that blocks this sensuality? Well, before we talk about what blocks it, let's just talk a little bit more about why sensuality leads to uh, also sexuality, right? But not only. But so essentially, mm -hmm. the more we can perceive, um, the the more um, exalted our experience, right? Or or ex or let's say exaggerated our experience or amplified our experiences. So this is true, of course, for everything that we can experience, not only the good stuff. So when you become sensitive to what's actually happening within you and around you, um, you become sensitive not only to, uh, you know, the luscious uh, feeling of fur uh, under your hand when you, you know, uh, stroke a, a little puppy. You also become very uh, sensitive to uh, not so pleasant sensations, both uh by you know on your external as well as your internal and mm -hmm. so um when we engage with the senses and when we in general when we engage with our body because embodiment and uh, sensuality are intricately connected they're one and the same essentially because in embodiment what we're looking at is listening to the messages our our five senses and and our internal landscape sends us right and so then when we um when we engage with our senses everything shows up so mm -hmm. um so there's an internal sense of um, having to reconcile that with all the really good also comes to all the really not so good right i don't want to say bad but there are certain things we like to feel more than others Mm -hmm. Um, so, so there's that, and there is a very specific, um, uh, I don't know what the word would be, internal contract you have to make your, with yourself when you become, uh, embodied and sensually alive. And that is not so fun stuff will show up as well. Yeah. But yes, of yes. course, within the context of that, you know, that these things are very fluid and they come and go quickly if you engage fully, you know, because mm -hmm. nothing gets stuck. So when we then talk about safety, uh, internal safety would be knowing that we can handle what we feel and also knowing that we can, um, as 
as grown adults now, right, regardless of our trauma patterns, I'll get to trauma in a moment, we are capable of managing what we feel and what comes at us. And sometimes that means we'll have to get help, right? We'll have to find a therapist or a body worker or, uh, you know, a specialized treatment for whatever shows up. Um, mm -hmm. but, but there's a certain kind of knowing that we can and we will handle things because we are now um, able to, you know, self-sufficient, responsible adults uh, making decisions and, and choosing well for ourselves, right? So there, there's that aspect. So that, there's a, that's mostly an understanding that we have safety now. Now there's people who still don't have safety and then that's a whole different issue, right? Then, then it's a, then the issue is finding a place where there is safety. Um, yes. but if we are self able to be self responsible and if we have enough insight in what we're doing, we can give ourselves internal safety, um, as in the support we need so we can actually deal with sensations and feelings. So that's the, the one aspect of safety. The other aspect of safety, of course, is external, um, both actual safety and perception around who we are, right? And so now ac actual safety, that's fairly easy to address. Don't engage sensually or sexually in an environment where that's not safe, right? I mean, there's nothing else that can be said about that. Um, and th I acknowledge that that's a learning in itself, but that's, that's a learning that any human being can engage with, with the help of others, help of therapists, help of support groups, whatever, right? Um, or the help of law enforcement, if need be, right? So in an extreme yes. case, if you have to get safe, you have to get safe before you even engage. But then there's, of course, also societal safety, um, where you're perceived a certain way or where certain judgments are placed on you or where people want you to be a certain way. And uh, that could be you get um, looked at funny for being essentially engaged, but also mm -hmm. it could be that you looked at funny for not letting it all hang out, so to speak. Right? Yes. Yes. So there's, so th those are realms of safety. And of course, the easiest and the, really the only one we can attend is internal safety where we give ourselves permission to experiment within a safe environment and we create a safe environment for ourselves to explore our body and our, you know, sensual uh, engagement. Yes. Would you say that the moment that we have that ability to have that trust in our internal self, to be able to trust that we can handle our internal world, to feel safe with our internal world. Would you say that the moment that we really have that, that already opens up so much more possibility to make the choices to create an external safe environment, if we have those choices? But it begins with that trust that we can even go, okay, I trust me, so now I can make the choices out here. Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, absolutely. Because um, 
for instance, I, ju I just had a call with somebody and, and she was saying, well, um, I always want to do, I always want to be a good student. And uh, so I do what the teacher says, even though I might not feel like it. Well, that's a lack of personal safety, right? But not brought on by me in this case, right? But brought on by that person in the sense that if you can't be trusted to set proper boundaries for yourself, you know, everything else is, is a problem. Yes. Oh, I totally hear that. If we can't be trusted to create that internal safety for ourselves, then everything else is a problem. That is such an important thing for everyone to hear. Because I think we get so stuck in trying to change the external circumstances. If I change the teacher, if I change the partner, if I change my body, and we never, but yet we never feel safe. And actually it begins inside and 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 that that also opens up, like you said, this sensual relationship with life. One of the most powerful phrases from the podcast you recorded with me before was, "If you numb out pain, you numb out pleasure." And everybody was like, "Whoa, what?" And 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 so I want to I want to go into that now. If you feel safe feeling your pain then you can feel safe receiving the pleasure. Pleasure, exactly. Right? And they are one and the same. Strong sensation is strong sensation. So if you're not able to feel strong anger, right, for within yourself, you also can't feel strong pleasure. Um, yes. And so that's how it goes, that you essentially have to uh, know that um, – you can only go as high, you know, as you can go low, so to speak, right? There's an amplification that has to happen both ways. And that's yes. super important. And so if this whole talk, you know, it's, again, it's a very sexy topic, abundance, um, love, receiving. And it's like, actually, when all that goodness comes in, and if you can't be with your own pain, we're going to find a way to push that, even the goodness away and I personally relate to that that has been such a deep journey of mine so if we really want to be able to even feel safe receiving the goodness we have to be safe feeling all of it it's such a relief hearing this I just have to say because you know this feels so much more relatable to me than the kind of performance of sexy um so you just touched on sensuality isn't necessarily sexuality. So where, where does sensuality and sexuality meet? <laughs> well, so if we assume that we can use all our senses to the fullest, right, which is a practice all in itself, um, I'll tell you about, I did like a whole course called Awakening the Pleasure Body. And I kind of had to go through all the different steps so that I could make a cohesive course. And the, and, and so the, the, the sensual step comes long before the sexual step, 
right? And the reason that is the case is for what we just discussed, that you have to also reconcile with not, not so good stuff also being there. So there's an element of releasing things and getting comfortable with strong sensations and emotions. And then what happens is you can learn how to amplify your engagement with each sense. So right now, for instance, right, I have a cup of, I always have a cup of tea. It's a, it's a, it's a running joke. My entire life revolves around the next cup of tea for the most part. So, but so, so as I'm holding this tea, which of course you can only see when you see me in person, um, I have several central things going on at the same time. So there is touch where I'm feeling the cup in my hands and also feel the heat of the tea warming my fingers, right? So there's a textural element and a temperature element. I can also smell the tea if I go like that, right? And then when I smell the tea, if I take that moment and I smell the tea, then the tea opens my body, Right, so you can when you have, when you smell something that you enjoy, there's like a, ah, like it's like it's almost like an unfolding, right? Then there's of yeah. course the taste, which also produces an unfolding. Um, there isn't that much sound involved unless I make large slurping motions <laughs> sounds, right? But but there might be the sound involved in pouring the tea, right? And then um, there's of course the sight of uh, my favorite mug, right? This is my favorite mug from a Finnish company. So, you know, there's, there's like, I look at that and it gives me a certain joy. And within that certain joy, there is, um, as with sight, always in, in, sen in the sensory engagement, there's multiple layers. So um, this is just an example, of course, so that this is clear for everyone, right? So I look, so my sight sense, which of course is also the primary sense for most people, but my sight sense can focus on that cup. And then when I focus on the cup, there's multiple layers of positive engagement that open things up. So this cup has little um, animals on it, like these little stylized wood creature. So there's an owl, which I love, right? So there's that first layer of an enjoyment of the actual design. There's a second layer of me having very strong familial uh, positive memories about this particular brand of ceramics. Right? Yes. And then there's a third layer uh, of where I bought the cup and with whom uh, while traveling. So all of that loads up positively in my body. And so with, with just one sense, I can produce cascades of positive um, reaction in my body. Then I can produce that same cascade of um, reactions through the taste, through memories and engagement, and through um, the touch, right? I could then play some nice music with it. And, uh, you know, then we have all the senses engaged there. And what then, of course, happens is my body now is alive and open. Now, that aliveness and openness is, of course, the prerequisite for sexual engagement, yes. for actual sexual engagement, you know, where you're not just turning on the biggest vibrator you can find and hope that it produces some sensation. That, that's 10 steps 
outside of sensitizing, right? That's desensitizing in a certain way or trying to sensitize when you are very sensitized. So you can boil it down to your body being already so pleasurably alive with these multiple layers of positive associations that if now somebody would touch me, my entire body would kind of ripple with the pleasure of the touch because I'm already so sensitized. Yes. And that's where sexual and sensual lead into each other because the when you train for sensual engagement in normal, everyday, almost mundane moments, and also in kind of more ritual moments where you have a bath, for instance, right? Or you sit down and you massage your body while you have a candle on and some music, whatever. So you can go very ritual with sensual engagement, but also very mundane. We're doing a podcast, right? I'm in front of a computer uh, in front of a ring light that's, you know, very bright and whatever. And I can still <laughs> have that. And um, that will carry on throughout my day. So at the end of the day, when I do want to sensually or sexually engage, I'm not numb. I'm not shut down. I'm not um, having to dig very, very deep down for any kind of sensation. So to me, sensual pleasure is the prerequisite for sexual pleasure, and it's an amplifier of sexual pleasure. I just think that is so beautiful because it's not dramatic. It's intimate. It's very intimate, and it isn't dramatic. And sometimes people complain, complain um, that it's not fancy or all bells and whistles. Well, you know, we've been so conditioned by things like porn and, you know, toxic ideas of how this should be. And what you're speaking about is like the opposite. It's this intimate presence of just being with your tea. Like even as you were speaking about it, I was, I felt my body opening up and it's, it's just so personal as well. It, it's pleasurable inside yourself, just in the present. Um, I, I've been practicing something lately. My husband and I are 10 years apart in, in age and we're in very different spaces when it comes to our sexual energy and our sensuality. And one thing that I've been practicing is taking, um, walking through nature and intimately connecting in the present with nature. And I'm noticing how pleasurable it is it's medicinal for my sensuality. Uh, I, I can't believe how nourishing it is <laughs> rather than focusing on the disappointment of the differences of our energy right now. It's like, Oh, I feel this it's available in any present moment. <laughs> yeah. It's always available within us, around us. Nature is a great one there. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the thing, of course, the benefit of that is that when you get that other places, you don't have to make your partner wrong, of course, right? And you can also bring yourself to your partner from a different place. Yeah. Because, of course, uh, there's no way that your partner doesn't suffer that difference too, right, from, other, from the other side. And so um, when you don't 
put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. <laughs> that might not be the best metaphor for for sexual engagement. <laughs> But if you don't put all your eggs in one basket, then, or and, and if you come already full, then that makes uh, for a lot more harmonious bridging of the difference. Yeah. Gosh, that's beautiful. If you come already full, that's so beautiful. Rather than coming empty, saying, please fill me. <laughs> or, or even worse, you must fill me. You know, this is yes, your job. Demanding. demanding. I'm entitled to being filled by you. You must open my body. I mean, you hear, always hear these things, and it's like, ooh, that, that's that 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 kind of you know pseudo spiritual rhetoric of you. Oh, you my 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 man must open me. It's like, ah, eh, you're not gonna get very far with that kind of attitude because no man in their right mind is going to react well to a, an entitled demand. Oh, gosh, I hear so so much pain in that and such healing in this too. If you come already full, I'm definitely, I'm, I, I, interestingly in this moment, I feel such love for my partner just as we're speaking because it just takes away all that pressure and judgment and expectation which of course shuts the body down and doesn't feel safe and then the whole thing doesn't work it can't exactly. work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly well and then there's also a thing when your partner um uh, feels like they have to they are no longer free to want to right that's the other thing there is something really horrendous about putting somebody in a double bind we all do it right but it's it's a place you can't escape from and the double bind is uh, damned if you do damned if you don't right yes. so that's that's a double bind so it's like well you don't you don't open me sexually the way i want to well now what right now if they do it then it's just because you said so. And if they can't do it or don't want to do it, then they're just horrible monsters. Right? So, so it doesn't leave somebody a place of um, self-determination where they can say, yeah, you know, I'm not really feeling it right now. I'm too stressed or my hormones are down or whatever. Right? This goes the other way around too. Sometimes women after childbirth or so just not feeling that sexy. You know, mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that in, in, in the, um, course of a, you know, in a loving, committed relationship, there will be moments where you don't sync up. And then to make that into this horrible shortcoming uh, is, is really bad. Right? And you can't really recover from those things. Well, yes. You know, once they've happened. That, of course, then just creates this toxic cycle based on both your trauma patterns. And then there's no healing there. There's no abundance there. So I have a question. In a pandemic, with all this, there's so much anger. There's so much fear. There's so much heightened. Um, there's survival. There's threat to health, our lives. Um, is it possible to be creating this internal safety right now? And how can one person in their own home begin this practice? Mm -hmm. Well, 
thankfully, <laughs> uh, these practices of connecting with your senses don't need a partner, right? And thankfully, connecting with nature uh, doesn't need a partner. And, th and connecting with nature does not necessarily mean you have to have access to a lot of nature, um, you know, which not everybody has in an urban, urban environment. You can still connect with nature by picking up a food at a grocery store. Uh, you know, you can, you can connect with nature by buying some flowers. I mean, there's all kinds of creative ways of, of even connecting with nature. If you're, you know, if you, you can have a shower, you're connecting with nature, so to speak, um, via the water, if you view it that way, right? Mm -hmm. And, so, or a bath or something like that, right? You can, you can, uh, have nature in your own bathroom right then and there. So, uh, that's the good news, right? The bad news, of course, as you were saying, is a lot of us are very isolated. Um, and, you know, in parts of the world, it's not getting any better. You know, where you are, you, you, you know, you're in a much better uh, position as some other places are. And so it's very um, difficult and there's internal and external forces to reckon with. Right? So let's see how I can say this. So there's habit forces that make us suffer. And then there's the actual suffering or the actual consideration of what the body needs, right? Mm -hmm. So a habit force that makes us suffer, so to speak, is if you are um, used to getting your validation and also your sensual and sexual input from outside, then you're going to have a bit of a hard time if you can't get it that way, right? There's, I still know people, they go on date even though they put their lives and the lives of those they love in danger, right? Because they have such strong habit force around having to engage that way that they risk uh, substantial you know, damage for people, not only themselves, or, but people involved. So that's a habit force that in itself might need a bit of examination because mm -hmm. there's a difference between wanting to date and wanting to have sex and wanting to have a good time and wanting to meet with friends. Um, that's completely normal, right? But then if you have to do it, regardless of the consequences, you are essentially in the realm of addiction. Yes. That's a very rough thing to say, and I know a lot of people will get upset about that. But the very definition of addiction is that you do, do that you do be, engage in behavior that is actively detrimental for you. Oh. Yes. And so when you engage in behavior that's actively detrimental for you, and that, by the way, uh, occurs even before a pandemic where people have unsafe sex and you know, risk pregnancy when they don't want children and all kind, you know, like all kinds of stuff that we do in the relational field because we need things so badly. So yeah. that's something to examine. This is not something that we need to talk about here, but that's certainly something to examine with somebody who's qualified to support you on that because um, anything that has a hold over us makes us less free. Yes. And freedom is one of the, uh, I don't know, the greatest internal safety and virtue that you can have is that you're free to make the decisions you want to make based on what's best for you. 
Yes. And if you don't have that, then you must get that with the means available to you, right? That's everything from reading books, seeing a counselor, getting help, going to support group, getting education, whatever. So there's that. Now, considering that there's also just the suffering of the uh, social shutoff and, you know, human beings are social creatures. We're not meant to be alone. We're not meant yes, to yes. not hug and connect and stuff like that. So, so I'm not, I'm not talking about that. It's just when you do things that you know you shouldn't be doing, that you are in some realm. But so now in the realm of the actual, the, the actual suffering of, um, being a human, human creature that wants contact and touch and connection yes. and sexual excitement and flirting and all of that. That's real. So can you continue speaking about how habit forces are showing themselves and people may be acting out? during these times, I guess, because they're in pain, that could be blocking the possibility of internal safety? Um, well, I think I want to also, because I, when we started on this topic, you know, we kind of looked at what people are doing to act out. I want to also say that internal safety, of course, is relative, Right. Mm. And I think it's very important to understand that what one person feels is internal safety is not somebody else's internal safety. Right. And um, our idea of what feels good depends largely on our programming from childhood and growing up and also our first relational experiences. So while some people need a kind of an actual safety, meaning they need to feel like they have trust and rest and things of that nature so that they feel safe, for other people it's the exact opposite. They thrive on the drama and the chaos and they don't actually feel okay and at home unless there is some, you know, upwelling of something going on. So when we talk about internal safety, we could also first examine what is it that's our home base, right? Is our home base just from a programming standpoint, a certain kind of chaos, uh, uh, instability, um, volatility, danger, um, things of that nature, right? And now that we're grown up, we want stability and safety and trust, but some part of us is still craving that kind of chaos as a means of mm. feeling at home, right? So mm. that really, really um, influences the behavior during, let's say, in a pandemic um, where uh, there's... <laughs> For the, for the lack of a better sense, external um, instability and chaos, right? And so sometimes mm -hmm. when external instability and chaos happens, if internally we crave that, uh, it actually can straighten something out in a certain way internally, right? Because mm -hmm. there's so much happening out there that somehow the being has to straighten out to kind of make sense of it. For other people, their internal chaos and their internal um, programmings of, you know, just unsafety and the external kind of potentiate themselves and they have a really, really, really hard time. And then, of course, mm. there's people who are 
internally fairly ordered, let's say, uh, from a programming standpoint. We all have stuff. Nobody doesn't have stuff, right? But -hmm. it depends on what you have. And then there's the external instability. And um, that's, you know, that's the best case scenario that it's internally uh, stable, but externally unstable. But there could be externally unstable, internally unstable. There could be um, externally unstable and internally craving unstableness, but that creating a sense of belonging or equilibrium, right? So all of those are real actual things that are, people are dealing with. And we were talking before we got started on people needing a lot of attention you know, uh, work and a lot of counseling and a lot of attention. And that is one of the reasons when it's externally unstable for as long as it's been, Hmm. um, uh, work on oneself or repairing certain structures within ourselves isn't um, an optional luxury. It's actually needed and really, really important. So that all said, you know, some people are still um, trying to stabilize by doing the habits and the behaviors that have stabilized them beforehand. And that can be from very useful, if it's good habits and good habit forces, to incredibly destructive, if it's under the best of circumstances, questionable habit forces, right? And so that's kind of where we left it off. Uh, when we got interrupted, uh, was some people, they just know how to cope by filling themselves with certain situations. And this could be shopping or eating. It could be dating. It could be certain kind of sex. It could be partying with, you know, in the the best and in the worst kind of ways. So um, when you have to do these things to stabilize yourself and you can't do them, then that can be incredibly um, destabilizing and incredibly upsetting because you are essentially uh, not getting your quote-unquote drug of choice, right? You're not getting your uh, chosen tranquilizer or your chosen stabilizer, and that's uh, a very rough one to to work with. Yes, but then I also hear that that's the gateway to healing, like being in an ideal world. It's kind of like the rock bottom. Um, You know, when I look at people who come to work with me, most people have come to a point where the things that they they thought they needed or that they've acted out in have have stopped working. And so it creates a destabilization and then this rock bottom. And then that, that comes to the point where you say it's no longer a choice. I have to, I have to heal. Yes. 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 That that's the ideal situation is that you come to a place where um, anything less than getting out from under this isn't good enough. You know, Yes. So what could you say that people could start doing in their homes, in their lives? We don't really know how long this is going to take. I think that's probably one of the hardest things is that there's no end point yet. And so what can people do in their lives now 
yes, go to therapy and and start to look for help. But are there tools that they can bring into their way of living that can start to deepen the relationship that they have with their own internal safety, intimacy, learn about their home base and create a a more safe foundation for themselves? Yeah, I mean, there's loads of things people can do and not everybody does need therapy, right? I mean, um, feeling feeling somewhat destabilized in, in a destabilized world isn't necessarily um, out of the ordinary, right? Um, I personally am a great fan of, con- you know, checking in with someone um, on a on a regular basis to make sure I'm not going off the deep end with and not noticing right? <laughs> in in times of stress, not only in this moment, but aside from that, there's lots of different things people can do, and. Um, one of the nice things about a situation like right now where we are in this marathon is essentially that the, the habits that we're creating now can become lifelong, positive, go-to aspects of our lives. Because right? Mm-hmm. right now, most people have a little bit more time to actually um, find what works for them and also do those things a bit more. Um, and that's going to be useful for many years to come, so to speak. So um, there's a few general realms that one can engage with, right? Um, And they're not necessarily in any particular order, meaning it's not like one is more important than the other. I think it's good to pick at least one out of each category as a mainstay. So the first one would be embodiment. And what I mean by embodiment is the connection to the messages of the body. Um, That's not the same as doing a heavy yoga class or running up a hill, right? Even though that can be very embodying. Uh, What I'm talking about is sensitizing to the messages the body always sends. And those are physical messages as far as well-being or the lack thereof. There are emotional messages um, around, you know, the, the arising and passing, hopefully passing of emotional states. And that's also an awareness of how the body and the emotion influences the mind. And so embodiment practices are practices that sensitize us and connect us to the body and that bring the body online as uh, the tool that it is, right? Because our our body is kind of a premier tool and our body has actually made us survive and served us way longer than our developed brain has. And so there's a whole uh, body of knowledge, pun intended, right? That's only available through the body. It's not available through the brain. Uh, It's not even available through the heart, through the emotions. It's just available through the body. And so doing embodiment practices, um, really connecting with the body, caring for the body, um, working with the body on uh, the the natural ways that the body can release 
uh, stress, regulate the nervous system, let go of old stuck stuff. All of that's possible within embodiment practices. And as you well know, I've developed an entire embodiment practice called uh, the nonlinear movement method, where all of those things are done, um, you know, from the wisdom of the body. But there's other mm. ways to do it. For instance, um, just regular walking, regular swimming, if you have access to a lake or an ocean, um, regular um, unstructured movement, dancing, playing with your animals or children, you know, things of that nature that sensitize us to us having a body. So pretty much anything that makes uh, people connect with their body in a not so very structured way. And why I'm saying that is that when, of course, we apply a lot of structure, um, that um, is a scaffold for a certain pathway. So it's nothing wrong with exercising with structure. For instance, if you weight lift, you have to have proper structure or, you, you know, you'll hurt yourself. Or yoga is very structured in a certain way. That's not a bad thing. And it's certainly embodying, but it, um, it's kind of not the full picture that can be had with a more unstructured, nonlinear, playful, um, you know, kind of multifaceted approach to uh, embodiment. Right? Mm -hmm. So within um, embodiment, we could make a few subcategories or we can uh, talk about them separately as well. I kind of have them as subcategories simply because they're all... Um, affecting mind body the same way but so meditation would be in there as well even though that has a bit more structured it's a very sensitizing and embodying practice if you do it properly uh, where you actually become super aware of all that comes and you know it can pass and and arise and pass through and things like that moving meditations as well um mm -hmm. You know, so so that would kind of, for me, fall a bit into the same category of the sensitizing towards the messages of the body and the loosening of a certain grip of um, self-identity and 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 mm -hmm. habit forces. So that would be the embodiment track of uh, tools that one can do. Right, and of course, it's considered that all the things we do within the embodiment track are um you know stress relieving and um and allow for kind of uh, a better let's say endocrine function and a nervous system function right? so yes. there is that the next one would be what is loosely um described as self care hmm. and so within self care um that's of course also embodying and and things like that, but I'm 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 giving it its own category because we all know what that looks like. It doesn't necessarily mean we do it, but we know what it looks mm -hmm. like. Meaning mm -hmm. taking some time to actually care for ourselves, not just our body. So you know things like um, let's say journaling or speaking with a therapist or um, having a massage if that's appropriate within um, you know wherever you are living um, 
or a self-massage or uh, upping your routine for your face care or giving yourself yeah. a pedicure or whatever, you know, all of those things fall into the self-care category. But so do um, listening to music, uh, cooking yourself some food that you really enjoy, uh, nurturing yourself with the proper supplements or the, the proper um, regimen that allows your body to function optimally. So there's a wide range of things that fall into self-care. Um, and they, they go from, I would say they range from indulgence to discipline, depending on what you need, meaning sometimes mm -hmm. that means having that piece of chocolate and laying in the bath and reading a trashy novel. And sometimes <laughs> that means um, eating proper supplements, uh, going on a bit of a, um, you know, um, food regimen to balance out your system and anything in between. So that's all, to me, that's all within the self-care of mm -hmm. optimizing how you care for your body, your mind, and your soul. Hmm. And then you have questions before I rattle on? <laughs> no, no, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying it. Carry on. This is all really, really useful stuff. <laughs> so the third one um, I sometimes call organization. And what I mean by that is... Um, creating external structures that allow us a sense of safety within ourselves. Yes. Right? And I can't say enough about that. It's particularly um, in women's practice often looked down upon, right? Because we're supposed to be just all flowy and all over the place and go with whatever comes and it's considered masculine if we have some structure. And that's, uh, you know, that's really not very useful and it's no. some strange dogmatic uh, prison of another kind, right? It's essentially the 50s reimagined uh, for modern times, right? It still um, is hugely, what would the words be, uh, diminishing, right? So, yes, yes. Um, so, so I personally think that the more external structure you can create for yourself, the more you can flow internally and also the safer you feel and the more trust you're going to have in your own ability, which of course also means you can make better choices around those you surround yourself with. And mm. when you can provide yourself with an external structure, um, that kind of relaxation goes a long way also for things like sexual openness or adventurousness and things like that. So I think it's super, super important. And so within organization, to me, um, there's a whole realm of engagement that um, that's important, one of which is a schedule. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with having a schedule. Uh, and that's not to say you have to be rigid, but having a schedule and knowing what you're doing is hugely settling, particularly in a time of uncertainty, right? If you mm -hmm. don't know when, in my case, I still don't know whenever, you know, whenever that will be that I can to travel again mm -hmm. or see my parents or whatever, right? Mm. Um, so uh, the the day-to-day -day structure uh, has become a lot more important because I don't have the structure of, okay, two weeks from now I'm flying to Europe. It's like two weeks from now is exactly the way it is today. 
unless I put some specific structure into my calendar and plan my days such that there's a variation to my schedule that makes it so I'm not going insane, right? But also that mm. makes it so I can relax and everything's attended to. So a schedule is super, super important. Also, this is one of the ones that people overlook other than from a design standpoint, and that is proper environment. Uh, can't say enough about the positive benefits on the nervous system of proper environment. Hmm. And now proper environment is different for each person. Some people need it a lot more cleanly than others. Mm -hmm. Some people need every pencil squared, while others just need a heap of pencils for well-being, right, that are thrown there and look amazing or whatever. So that's very different. But uh, a certain kind of uh, structure that allows you to find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, having one of the most, one of the most, I don't even know if I want to talk about this because it's very... Well, well, well. Then, then you have to <laughs> <laughs> well it's nothing revolutionary it's just people people have such an odd relationship to this so one of the tools of being super effective in your life is having spares what do you mean <laughs> having a second <laughs> one of whatever you need often say more about this <laughs> so if you want to be effective in your life and get stuff done you can't run out of things <laughs> it's it slows you down and it creates friction in your effectiveness so for instance um if you and i are talking and my microphone goes right mm -hmm. because it's it fell, let's say. If I don't have a second one, we're done. And then I need to order one. Now I'm in a pandemic, so I'm definitely not going somewhere. Thank goodness for Amazon. But, you know, uh, if, if it's not available on Amazon or whatever, you know, you, you might take a few weeks or whatever. So same with things like, let's say, printer cartridge. Uh, you know, or things of that nature, uh, a second mascara wand, um, extra face cream, uh, you know, um, a, a spare toothpaste. It sounds very, very ridiculous, but when you have whatever you use most spare and you keep that up, it, it reduces um, slowing down friction and um, interruption to what needs to happen so massively that all that extra attention and energy can go towards things like embodiment and self-care and stuff like that or creativity. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. I've never heard that before, but as you were speaking it, my whole body just relaxed because, and also it takes a certain amount of self-care to know what those things are it's like I can imagine that that's a habit in itself to always run out of things which keeps you in that fight or flight mode so actually to know that I need I always need soy milk in the fridge to make my favorite cup of tea um, you know things like that it's, you have to know yourself to be able to know what those spares are 
Yes. And, and that in itself is an incredibly interesting process. And then how do you work with that? And how do you, and, and it sounds very, very, the reason I was hesitating on talking about it is that, of course, it doesn't sound like it's that related to your spiritual pursuits or your emotional relational pursuits, but it is incredibly related to that because um, when you look at what makes you, let's say, um, like we were saying, internal safety um, allows you to open relationally and sexually, allows you to open to nature and so on and so on. It is how relaxed your nervous system is habitually, right? It's easy to assume that you can open into a sexual moment or so uh, if your partner is just skilled enough. But you know what? That's a, that's a dicey bet, right? It's much better to have a baseline of um, actual deep relaxation that allows you to open when you feel like it without having to climb up some very steep mountain of tension, contraction, you know, chatter and, and stress. And so mm-hmm. um, things like having your environment um, set up in a way that your body is relaxed on an ongoing basis make a huge difference relationally as well as sexually, sensually, uh, in the, and as well in the personal development. Hmm. And that comes back to what you were saying earlier about coming to our partners or coming to sensuality or coming to our partners already full rather than empty. So when we're already in an abundance, then we relaxed, we can receive. Yeah. And that's super, super important. Right. And uh, that's a big part of it is that you have organization in place that you have um, your ducks in a row, that you know what you're doing and that you don't uh, use available bandwidth on stuff that's totally inconsequential. Thank you. That's super helpful and really interesting. So thank you so much, Michaela. It's been such an interesting and useful conversation. I want to say to everyone listening that you, you offer quite a lot of courses and workshops um, on your website and in your work and the nonlinear movement. So people go check out Michaela's website if you want to practice nonlinear movement. Can people do it in their own houses? Can they practice now? As a matter of fact, I I teach it online so people can do it in their own home, which is, of course, really, really cool because that's where you do the regular ongoing practice. So you get guided in the space where you're actually practicing, which makes it incredibly powerful. And also on the website, there is uh, a demo and there's home practice instructions and there's a playlist and there's all kinds of stuff. So... Um, it's, you know, that's a super simple tool for anyone. Um, and then from there, there's all kinds of other fun stuff amongst them, uh, long form nine months engagements into study groups where you get quite personalized, uh, attention because it's small groups and it's available mm-hmm. in all time zones because I teach it twice each day. So, uh, wow. I do a, yeah, I do a morning session for the UK and Europe and East coast of the US. And then on the same day, the same session in the afternoon for, US, Australia, New Zealand, and 
uh, beyond. So, well, I'm definitely going to be coming along to that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's always such a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and everyone, please go and check out Makayla's work. Um, we will be putting all the details below this episode so that you can go and really make the most of this very powerful and healing practices that you offer. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm.